One of the most common excuses for non-therapeutic male infant and child genital cutting or circumcision as it's referred to is the belief that it reduces or altogether prevents the risk of HIV because babies are known for their rampant promiscuity. Seeing as how there's no urgency, the reasonable thing should be to let the person grow up and decide for themselves whether genital surgery is worth the alleged benefit of marketing themselves as having a slightly smaller risk of getting diseases acquired when having unprotected sex with infected partners. Now, the usual rebuttal to that is that the procedure is so much more dangerous and traumatic for adults. So they're doing the kids a favor by having it done when they allegedly can't remember. Now, this is problematic because one, it assumes when a person can't consciously remember trauma, they're immune to its effects. And more and more research shows that that's not the case at all. Even in the womb, a mother's mood and stress levels can affect the baby's neurological development. Second, it denies the person the agency to assess the outcomes themselves and communicate if something has gone wrong. Of course, everyone's anatomy is different. What may seem like a quote-unquote standard circumcision at birth could cause problems as the child develops during puberty. It also assumes that eventually they would get it done as an adult, but wouldn't because of the pain. So then the question becomes, why force something if the cost can't be justified? I mean, you could easily, you know, uh, for example, tattoo a kid because, you know, a lot of people they think tattoos is hurt or traumatic. I mean, that's what's to stop people from using that logic. And honestly, if the most traumatic thing an adult would experience in their life is a non-medically necessary elective surgery for which they get anesthesia and pain medication for, they've had a decent but sheltered life. Another problem is th there's also the issue with the research itself. You know, most people assume that this was a simple ecological study of HIV infections among men in societies that cut children's genitals and compare that to men in societies that don't when there's no statistical evidence of that. You know, during the height of the AIDS epidemic in the 80s and 90s, America, which had the highest cutting rate of developed countries, also had and continues to have the highest infection and death rate. There are also now two large-scale studies spanning 30-plus years of nearly a million and a half males from countries on two different continents. It showed overwhelmingly that circumcision had no effect on reducing the risk of HIV. Where, if anything, the cut males had a higher number of infections overall. So it's puzzling that researchers in the early 2000s, when it was widely understood that what the causes for 
AIDS, HIV were, decided to go cut in genitals in poor African countries. One of the most cited studies took place in Kenya. Kenya's per capita health expenditure is about $170 compared to places like Netherlands, which is at about $5,200. So there's that huge gap, which translates to if people can't afford condoms, let alone pre-exposure prophylactics, testing, or treatment with antiretroviral therapy, of course, the disease is going to spread. It also doesn't help that there's a strong stigma culture in Kenya where, excuse me, having a disability or illness is treated as some sort of curse, leading to not only people just simply not going to the doctor and not treating the symptoms, but discrimination, even murder of disabled children and infants. But ignoring these important economic and cultural factors, there's also the question of how the participants who are of an ethnic group that generally frowns upon circumcision were even recruited. The age range was 18 to 24. 33% of them had less than a high school education. 66% were listed as having some or above. So it's unclear how many actually had finished high school, let alone have anything above that, like college or master's degree or PhD or anything like that. 66% of them were unemployed. The participants who were also offered a bounty of 25 U.S. dollars for each of the buddies they recruited, which converted to the local currency is about the price of 70 pounds of potatoes. So this wouldn't be the first or the last time researchers took advantage of a vulnerable community in order to convince them into some shady study Uh, concerning the results of the trial, which went for 24 months. 22 of the men in the circumcision group tested positive for HIV, while in the control group, it was 47. On the surface, these numbers may seem significant, but taking into account the numerous methodological flaws that occurred during these studies, uh, it's actually not that remarkable. It's quite pathetic. First, the circumcision group had to recover. So essentially, the group that didn't get circumcised had a 30-day head start, so to speak, in terms of exposure. There's also the issue of loss to follow-up. The study enrolled 2,800 men. By the time it reached the 24-month mark, over 1,400 of them had dropped out due to various reasons. And it's quite possible that the number of affected in the group that dropped out would have 
greatly affected the outcome had they finished. The lead researcher, Robert Bailey, has always has also gone on record saying that he had to intensively counsel the intervention group to modify their behavior, i.e. avoiding multiple partners, sex workers, and using condoms, which I can understand why they wouldn't come back. Uh, you know, a young man getting scammed into having genital surgery done only to get lectured every three months by some foreign asshole because his research numbers aren't looking too good. You know, to go through all that and to come back and possibly test positive for the very thing you've been lectured on would be a huge disappointment and embarrassment. So there's similar studies in the other trial countries like Uganda and South Africa which calls into question the study design itself, which would work fine if dealing with a genetic disorder, like say breast cancer. But this is something that's behaviorally derived. So unless the researchers were making sure that the participants all had the same size genitals with the same frequency, had sex with the same frequency and the duration with the same set of partners who all had the same viral loads. Any data they got from these studies was correlational at best. I'm going back to the original point where people claim it's okay to cut babies because it's more dangerous and traumatic to cut adults. How then is it ethical to use research based on studies that performed these dangerous and traumatic procedures on adults? Gary Steingart recently wrote in the New Yorker magazine about difficulties and complications, both physical and psychological, from stemming from repairing a botched childhood cut. I highly encourage you to give it a read. As I was reflecting on it, it made me think about those in similar situations who end up suicidal just as he was at some point, who get told to stop whining, just deal with it because they're male, or get gaslit about the aforementioned alleged benefits as if it's some sort of consolation prize. So this episode is dedicated to them all those doing the work to make sure it happens to as few children as possible. <laughs>